0: right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, is anybody excited to be in God's house today? Come on, let's give God our best praise for just a minute. Come on, church. We want to welcome everybody. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor. Man, it is our privilege every week to have you here. If, If you're Faith family and this is home, man, we're glad you're here this weekend. And if you happen to be a VIP, a visitor, a guest, man, we're so thankful you decided to spend your Sunday morning with us. And Most of all, man, thankful for our Lawrenceburg family. Can we show them some love as they tune in, man? It's good to have you guys. And everybody else watching online, welcome, welcome, welcome to Faith Church. Well, hey, listen, we are in week three of a series that we started a few weeks ago. And the idea of this series entitled Eyes to See is exactly that, that, that our prayer based on scripture, based on specifically a prayer that the apostle Paul prayed, was that God would open our eyes. Specifically, what we find and we introduced in week one is that one of the reasons that Jesus came beyond being our Savior and forgiving us of our sin, which we need. Come on, somebody. uh, Ultimately, one of the reasons that Jesus came, he disclosed in Luke 4 that he came to open the eyes of the blind. And what we found out was that when Jesus declared his purpose was to open blind eyes while it included people who physically could not see that he one of the miracles he worked most uh, most often in his ministry was healing blind eyes what we find is that Jesus meant more than just our physical eyes that the goal in the heartbeat of Jesus is to open our spiritual eyes to see here's what we've been saying because your eyes can be fine but you can still be blind which means you can get a pass from an optometrist you can get a pass from an ophthalmologist they can look at you and say no you're 20/20 20, 20, your eyes are healthy But still there's another realm, there's another dimension, there's something else that God wants to enable us to see. And so I've been praying it for you, I hope you've been praying it for me and we've been praying it together, come on, that God would give us, come on, say it, eyes to see. And so I want to just throw back for a minute as we get into week three, anybody grow up in a home with a a phone on the wall? Come on, I'm talking about like old school line, everybody remembers those, like we didn't, I don't even think, we, we didn't have a push button for like a long time Like, we had the rotary dial, baby. Like, even calling 911 took it like, if someone's breaking in, you got to ask that burglar. Like, you just need to give me a minute because 911. And thankfully, you know, I remember growing up and the crazy part was if you had a home phone, you had that home line on the wall. Some of you don't know this pain. Like, it didn't matter how many phones were in the house. You still only had one line, which means, you know, you had to be home to make a call or get a call and it had to be your turn. THERE WAS NOTHING WORSE THAN BEING ON THE PHONE WITH, LIKE, YOUR BOYFRIEND OR GIRLFRIEND AND YOUR MOM PICKING UP THE PHONE, MOM, GET OFF THE PHONE. OH, COME ON. SOME OF YOU REMEMBER THAT. THANKFULLY, THANKFULLY, TECHNOLOGY EVOLVED AND WE WENT FROM HOME PHONES WITH ONE LANDLINE TO US HAVING THE CAPACITY AND THE ABILITY TO CARRY A CELL PHONE WITH US. I MEAN, THINK ABOUT THAT REVOLUTIONARY CHANGE THAT NOW YOU PERSONALLY CAN RECEIVE A CALL ANYWHERE, ANYTIME. I MEAN, that's, THAT'S PRETTY INCREDIBLE. But it didn't stop there. Technology continued to evolve, and it went from just a cell phone to a smartphone. Now you can't just take, make, receive phone calls. Now you have the capacity, and I have the capacity, to do all kinds of business. You can send emails and communicate. For me, my phone is probably one of the most important tools that I have. You know, you can do all kinds of work. Come on, you, everybody play some games, too. See, nobody's wanted to own it. Someone's downloading the billions of apps. Come on, somebody's candy crushing still. Part 8. And uh, so, But at the end of the day, think about all of, your, all of the things that your cell phone, that your now smartphone enables you to do. And here's what I know, and this is what I want to talk about for a few minutes, is, is that while, while having a smartphone is, is pretty incredible, I mean, you think about, again, all the things that it enables us to do, even though it's very convenient, at the same time, it's very counterproductive. And let me tell you what I mean by that. When I say it's counterproductive... Statistics, recent research I just read in the last several weeks says this, that the average person touches their cell phone 2,500 times every day. And those who are really prolific users of their their smartphone actually touch it up to 5,000 times every single day. Now, come on, that's, now don't think, oh, that's somebody else. That's us. Now, here's the problem with it, is, is when you're looking down and you're looking at your phone, you're giving your focus to this device rather than giving your focus somewhere else. I don't know if you know this, but you can really only give your focus to one thing at one time, which means if, if you're sacrificing focus somewhere else looking down, you might miss something. Like, if you're looking down at your phone, maybe you're not paying attention to the road. I'm not talking to nobody here. I'm talking about some other people. I mean, if you're, if you're looking, down, looking down at your phone and this has your focus, you might miss your family that's sitting around you. Some of you have been on dates or you're married, and I have unfortunately been guilty of this too, where your spouse is sitting right across the table and you're not looking up at her, you're looking down at your device. And so something has captured your focus. So again, man, there's nothing wrong with smartphones, but there is something wrong when your focus is put in the wrong place. Now, it's not just true for smartphones. But it's true for a lot of things. Think about how many things and how often sometimes there's something in our life that captures our attention at the cost of something else. Now, focus, focus is an incredible thing. In fact, focus, many of us know this. I believe this. I think focus is a gift. It's a, it's a great ability to increase your leadership capacity, to increase your life to live focused. If you're gonna everybody knows this, right? If you've decided you want to lose some weight or get healthy, that takes focus. And you've determined you're gonna lock in and you're gonna get to the gym and you're gonna track calories and you're gonna noom or weight or whatever you're gonna do in order to do it. And so it gives you focus to help get you healthy. Right? Maybe you've given your focus to school, and like you've decided to dig in and you've put all of your focus into getting through school as fast as possible. And so focus is an incredible thing. But at the same time, did you know that focus is a limited resource, which means you only have so much of it, so you have to be careful what you give it to. And if you give it to the wrong thing, it'll end up robbing you. Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like some of us in this room, we, we know people and I know people that possibly, right? I know people that, that, that was coming to church and they had a relationship with God and things were rolling and all of a sudden a hobby popped up in their life and now they were so focused on the hobby, they started forsaking church. Come on. They got a boat, but they don't know Jesus anymore. Come on. I'm telling you because your focus went somewhere else. Y'all are quiet. Come on, third service. You said you make some noise. Or we know people at the same time. This happened to a lot of us, right? We, we find that special somebody like they're them. And all of a sudden, we so focus and invest on that relationship, we end up sacrificing all of our friends. Now, I'm just telling you, I think it's smart to go all in on a relationship if he's the one or she's the one. But listen, you should never have to sacrifice all your friends for anybody because you might still need them. You need to hang on to them. Come on. anybody know what I'm talking about. And so again, there's nothing wrong with focus. Focus is powerful, but focus can also be a thief. It can also rob you. Come on, some of us in this room. How many people have ever overfocused on the wrong thing? Right, all of us in this room, man, we we do it all the time. It's just something natural. We just overinvest and overfocus. We focus on career at the cost of family. We, man, we decide we're going to be the number one seller. We're going to, you know, we're going to make the mark. At the end of the day, we start working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours. And at the, at the meantime, while you might be killing it on business, like your wife's ready to divorce you and your kids haven't talked to you in three weeks. And so this idea is really powerful. But one of the things that I know that often robs our focus or captures our focus in an unhealthy way is worry and fear and anxiety. I mean, think about it for a minute. When we get in fear, that's actually what we do. When we get in fear, we give it our focus. We start dissecting it. We start thinking about how is this going to work out? What's going to happen? What if this doesn't? And we start kind of, and that's why we can't sleep at night because in our mind, and what we're doing is we're giving our fear, our focus. And today for a few minutes, I just want to talk about what God's remedy is through this whole idea of giving us eyes to see. Because what I want you to know is this, every time God tells us in his word to to not not be afraid, don't fear, which he says 365 times, did you know he never says just don't be afraid? He always follows it up with an instruction. In fact, you're taking notes, fear is always followed by a call to fix your focus, which means God never says, just, hey, stop worrying, stop being anxious. What he does is, he's saying, that's the thing that's making you anxious, stop giving it your focus, and look up and give me your focus. What I want to tell you today is to look up. Everybody shout, look up. When you look up, when you fix your focus on something else, you'll be better. When you fix your focus on something else, especially God, you'll go further. But we've got to learn that principle, again, of this idea, look up. In fact, David, he said this in Psalm 121.1, 1. he said, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Now, listen, he's saying, listen, I, but my help doesn't come from what's in front of me. It doesn't, it doesn't come from my job. It doesn't come from the strength of my own hands. He said, where does my help come from? Come on, church, where does it come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heavens and earth. But the only way you're going to see the Lord is to quit looking down and start looking. Come on, everybody shout, look up. As you move through scripture, this idea or this call that God puts on all of our lives to look up is said over and over and over and over and over again. In fact, every time God commands us to not be afraid, he calls us to fix our focus. Every time he says, don't fear, don't be anxious, he calls us to fix our focus. Like We've talked about this uh, throughout this message already. You remember last week, every time God calls us not to fear, he calls us to fix our focus. Remember Hagar... Hagar is out in the wilderness. Her son, if you were here last week, her, her baby boy is about to die of dehydration, and she look, she's looking down in discouragement at death that's looming. And what does, God, what does God say? God says, don't be afraid. And then what does he say? Come on, everybody, look up. He's saying, man, I want you to see this baby's going to live. You see death, I see destiny. Come on, but the only way you're going to see that is if you're going to look up. Then you see Elisha. Elisha, remember, he is surrounded by an army that's there to kill him and his servant is afraid, he's petrified, he's terrified, he don't know what else to do. And what does Elisha say? Elisha says, hey, come on, you're you're focused on the wrong thing, you need to, come on, everybody, you got to help me, you got to look up. But he calls him not just to come on, look up, but fix your focus, put it on something else. He says, I want you to look up and see that those who are for us are more than those who are against us. I'm giving you a new focus. When Jesus taught on on the uh, Sermon on the Mount... He spent the largest portion, and he talked about, which is pretty profound, the the main things he talked about on the Sermon on the Mount was giving, praying, fasting, and worrying. Giving, praying, fasting, and worrying. And when he gets to worry that he spends the most of his time on, he says this. That's what he says. He says, some of you are worried about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. Some of you are worried about how to pay your bills and how you're going to get ahead. He said, but I tell you, look up. You know what he says? Look to the birds. Look up. I can tell that's profoundly impacted you (laughs) because you got to know the rest of the story. What Jesus is saying is look up to the birds. Because they don't know where they're getting their food from, but they're living. Somebody's providing for them, and you know who it is. Bird's not working out its own food and taking care of itself. Our Heavenly Father's taking care of that bird, and how much more valuable are you than they? So if you know he's going to take care of them, he's going to take care of you. Quit worrying about the moment and look up and see what God can do. Come, everybody shout, look up. Look up. And when you get to the life of Abraham, that commandment to look up is probably used in his life more than any other. And you'll remember Abraham was this man that God called out of obscurity. Again, he called him and blessed him and said that he was going to make a nation out of him. That in his old age, he was going to have all kinds of kids. And his kids were going to have kids. And they were going to become the nation of Israel. And God speaks to him and says, you need to get away from your father's house. You need to leave what's familiar. Some of you, you just need to hear that today. Some of you need to leave what's familiar if you're going to have what God wants you to have. And so he leaves and he starts walking. But we find that throughout his life, he hits seasons of discouragement. In fact, even though God tells him, hey, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you able, even in your old age, to have kids, weeks turn into months and months turn into years. And the next thing we know, a decade has passed. He's now 85 years old. He's been doing the deed and he still don't have any kids. And so we find in Genesis chapter 15 that he's laying one night in his tent and he's discouraged. He's frustrated. He's He's in doubt and he's looking down saying, man, this is just never going to happen. I'm never going to have kids. And come on, God speaks to him. And you might want to guess what he tells him to do. God tells him to go out of his tent and tells him, hey, look up he says, I want you to look up and I want you to count the stars in the sky, which I don't know if you know this, you can't count the stars. He said, I want you to look up. He said, because, because where you see discouragement, I want you to know that I see something so much greater. I see destiny. He said, I want you to count the stars because you're going to have more descendants in your family than the stars are in the sky. Come on, somebody. But you got to look up. There's another place where, uh, where Abraham is, is, is called to make this act of obedience. And God challenges him to sacrifice the son that God finally gives him. And it's it's a crazy story that we don't have time to talk about today. But Abraham is just trusting God. And so he makes the decision to do what he feels like God called him to do. And you literally find that Abraham is on top of the mountain and has his son strapped down with a knife in his hand. And he's ready to plunge it into the chest of his promise. Come on. Anybody want to guess how you would feel in that moment? Anybody feel like you might be a little afraid or a little anxious? And come on, every time, I'm tell, every time we face fear, God tells us to fix our focus. And in that moment, you know what God says? Come on. He says, look up. And he looks up and there's a ram caught in the thicket. There's, God gives a sacrifice in the place of his son. Every time God says, look up. There's a story I want you to see specifically Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, we see it one more time. It says right here, Genesis 13, verse 14 through 16. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. So let me stop and just set this up for a minute. So when God spoke to Abraham and told him to leave his father's house, that he was going to take him to a specific piece of property, he was going to give him some real estate, not just some real estate, but some descendants to live on that real estate. He wasn't sure if he could do it. And like a lot of us, he took a backup plan. Come on. Y'all trust in God, but you're trying to work things out on your own, and it doesn't work. And He took with him his nephew Lot because he said, I know I'm too old to have kids, but my nephew's still fertile, so I'm going to take him along just in case. And they're walking down the road together. They eventually get to this piece of property, but you got to know they're not there alone. Abraham is there with his family and his servants and their cattle. And Lot, his nephew, is there with his family and his servants and their cattle. And all of a sudden, come on drama starts to, drama starts to break out on the plane. And Abraham's like, I, you know, I ain't got no time, you know, save the drama for your mama. He ain't got no time for it. Come on, anybody, he ain't got no time for drama. And so they're fighting because there's not enough real estate for both their herds to eat. And so therefore the cattle are fighting and the herdsmen are fighting and the servants are fighting and it's bled into the family. And Abraham's like, enough. And he gets Lot together and they hatch a plan of how they can deal with the division and the disunity And basically his plan is he says hey listen We need to separate you need to get up out from underneath my roof and you need to, it's time to move out And he says here's what we're gonna do you pick any piece of real estate you want and i'll have the leftovers And Lot in his humility and generosity picks the best piece of property Come on, you know the person like when you split a cake and like someone takes the big half that was Lot He takes the best piece. It's it's the most productive. It's the most green. It's the most luscious. He takes the best piece of property and leaves uncle Abraham with dust and dirt. And we're about to read, Lot has just left to take the best piece of property. Here's Abraham stuck in desolation. And he's thinking, I I didn't even think I was going to have any descendants. And now I might die of starvation because I'm in the middle of nowhere. And listen to what God says. After, uh, and the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, come on, read it with me, lift your, and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also... Be numbered. You know what he was saying? He's saying, Abraham, here you are standing discouraged, looking down at the dust. He says, where you see dust, I see descendants. Come on, somebody. What I'm telling you is he tells all of us, you can fix your focus on the wrong thing and get discouraged and hung up. But if we'll lift up our eyes and see what God wants to show us, that's where strength comes from. That's where my help comes from. Come on, everybody shout, look up. Look up. It's just a powerful, profound principle that will change the way you live if we can just walk by it to look up. If you're taking notes, excessive focus, excessive focus can make us miss essential facts. If you're overly focused on one area, even if it's healthy for the moment, it can cause you to miss other things. Excessive focus can make you miss essential facts. Abraham almost missed the lamb. He almost missed his destiny. He almost missed his purpose. And God kept saying, look up. And this, is, this principle is practical. Come on, this, this principle, essential folk. Uh, 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 excessive focus makes you miss essential facts. This is true in marriage, too, by the way. Come on, wives. Come on. I, I love my wife. Um, we have a great marriage. We have a great relationship. I'm, I don't just like her and tolerate her. I love her. I'm in love with her. And, uh, you know, we have people come up to us from time to time, and, and they'll say, oh, man, you guys have such a great marriage. We wish our marriage was like yours. And we do have a great marriage, but, like, we're real people, too. And you may not want to hear this, but I'm probably, you know, I'm just like your husband too sometimes. <laughs> Come on. like theres I can't even tell you. This happens on a weekly basis. Come on, wives. You know this happens where my wife will tell me something and, uh, and I'm watching ESPN or I'm doing something else when she's talking. I'm, I'm looking down on my phone and I'll say, wait, what? And she'll say this. She'll say, I've told you this three times this week to which I always say, baby, you know I don't listen to you. Come on. But come on, I'm, I'm overly focused on the wrong thing, and I'm missing some essential information. Come on, the same thing is true in our relationship with God, in our walk, in our journey in life, that you can overfocus on something, even it be good, and it calls you to miss something greater that God wants you to see. So his command and his call to every person who's discouraged, who's about to give up, who's struggling, who's looking for something more, is to stop looking down at you and start looking up at him. He calls us, come on, to say it, to look up. I, uh, when I was a kid, I can remember this. I can remember these stories so, so crystal clear. Uh, when I was a kid, my, um, my dad used to send me on missions to go get something. Come on, everybody knows that that's what kids are for. Listen, if I'm gonna feed you and put a roof over your head, you at least gotta be a gopher for me. Come on. And so I remember there'd be times that, you know, I'd be sitting in the living room watching, uh, you know, Scooby Doo or something, and my dad would call me and he would say, Stephen. And he would always give very specific instructions. He'd say, Stephen, I need you to go out to the garage, and there's a white cabinet in the back, and he said, I want you to open it on the, and he'll say, on the top right hand shelf, there's a white bottle of brake fluid with blue writing. I want you to get that and bring it to me. And so, come on, as a kid, you know, I'd have to get up from Scooby-Doo, and I'd be like, ah. You know, I'd walk out, and I'd never forget this. This happened over and over, and I would open the cupboard, and I would look up and look around, and I'd say, man, he's crazy. There's no brake fluid in here. And I'd close the cupboard, and I'd go back in, and I'd say, Dad. I look, there's nothing out there. He says, Stephen, listen to me. I know it's there. I put it there. It's on the top shelf, right-hand corner. It's right out front, white bottle, blue writing, brake fluid. Go get that for me. I'm like, (laughs) ah. And I walk back out because my dad would beat me if I didn't. (laughs) They always watch third service, so I got to throw the stuff in for them. So I'd open the cupboard and I would look around and I swear there's no brake fluid in here. And sure as heck, I ain't in a white bottle, and there's nothing in here blue writing. And I'd go back in and I'd say, Dad, I look, there's nothing in there. And he would do this, and he did this to me over and over and over and over and over and over again. He'd say, Stephen, come with me. And he would take me and we'd walk out the garage and he would do this. He'd say, Now what did I tell you? And he would close his eyes. He said, I told you it's on the top shelf, right hand side, right out front. He would, with his eyes closed open, he would reach up and I swear. Out of thin air, he would pull a white bottle of brake fluid with blue writing. I'd be like, Dad, I swear it wasn't there. But come on, you know what was happening? It was there all along, but I was still focused on Scooby-Doo in the living room, and I wasn't really trying to see what my father was trying to show me. That same thing is true in life. Our Heavenly Father is trying to show us something, but our focus is fixed on the wrong thing. And so God tells us, come on, everybody, shout those words. God calls us to look up to see what he wants to show us. Throughout this whole message, really one of the challenges that I've been trying to give and I've been trying to remind myself to live by is that, is that we need to learn what lens is going to lead our life. We need to decide if we're going to follow our natural lives or our spiritual lives, if we're going to walk by what God wants to show us or by what this world wants to show us. And so I was thinking about, you know, these, this item like right here, y'all know this, uh, this is a microscope and a lot of us have a, have a microscope lens in life. When I say we have a microscope lens, come on, we, we know what it means is we put everything right in front of us, and we magnify it, and we dissect it, and we put it apart. And there's things like this. Come on, we, sometimes we only look down, and we only see in the moment. And we see, come on, we're dating somebody. Come on, somebody in this room, you're, you're dating somebody, and you're like, uh-uh, look at them abs, hmm? <laughs> And he's got a nice, I mean, he don't love the Lord, but he's got a nice personality, and he treats me really well. And I'm just telling you, you're looking with the wrong lens, It's it's like the tale of two cities, but it's it's the tale of two lenses. you got to stop looking with microscopes and start looking with telescopes and binoculars. you got to get the long call. Listen, you need to see, listen, if I date this guy, it's about to turn out sideways. This guy's going to pull me away from Jesus. We're going to grow up with kids in a divided home. Listen, you got to decide, are you going to look down in your microscope or look out, come on, with a long-term lens? Come on, I'm not done yet. Some of you, come on, you're in the workplace, and you're like, oh, man, look at this. I can get a bonus. I can get a raise. Man, I'm, I'm going to have to cut some corners and compromise my character, but it's going to work out. And you're looking in the moment, but you're not realizing you need to look long-term. This is going to cost me my job. It's going to cost me my reputation. It might cost me time in prison. It's going to cost me reputation for my family. Come on, it's never worth compromising your character. But if you're only looking in the moment, you'll make a decision that you're going to regret. you got to look up and look long-term. Come on, somebody. Oh, I'm not done. Some of you looking at the lens. Come on, look at that. Oh, look at my new assistant, man. She's pretty. I'm just going to send her a text. It's innocent. I know I'm married. It's just a small thing. It's no big deal. And all you see is a small flirtatious act and you don't see it going anywhere or meaning anything. But what you don't know is if you don't look up and look long-term... It's going to cost you your family. Your kids are going to grow up in a broken home. They're going to grow up needing counseling, and they're more likely to get divorced because you got divorced. Come on, it's going to cost you something that you don't see in the moment because you're looking down instead of looking up. Come on, somebody. Everybody shout, look up. You have to decide what lens is going to lead your life. And we do the same thing with difficult things. We magnify our hurt and our pain and our struggle And we look down, we're like, oh God, all I can see is the moment. How am I gonna get out of this mess? I'm always gonna be in debt, I'm always gonna be an addict. I'm always going to struggle with this. I'm telling you, if you look down, that's what you're going to see. But come on, what did God tell us to do? God told us to look up. When you get a long-term lens, come on, what you can see is God can make a way. I didn't see God doing it, but God was able to deliver. God was able to set free. God was able to heal. God was able to restore my marriage. Come on, some of you have given up on your marriage too soon because you're looking down through a a microscope instead of looking long at what God can do. Come on, somebody. Everybody shout, look up. Choose what lens is going to lead your life. Make a decision how you're going to look. And it's easy to look down. Many of us have a defective perspective, always looking down. And what Jesus came to do was to give us an effective perspective. How many people in this room say, God, I want a, an effective perspective? Come on. I want an effective perspective. You know what's, what's crazy is, is there's a scripture probably many of you have heard, and it's this scripture in Psalm 3:3. 3, 3, where God is called the lifter of our heads. Have you ever heard that? Now think about how much God calls us to lift our heads. And here he comes, he says, I'm the lifter of your head. Which means to me, sometimes, you know, weight, you know, people carry weight physically too, right? Like it's not just emotional weight. You can see somebody when they walk in the room if they're carrying a weight. Most of the time when people are carrying a weight, it's shown in their body language Typically, when somebody's going through a hard time, a a difficult season, worry, whatever, you'll find what happens to their focus. It goes down. People walk down and discourage. Like, happy people lift up. Like, they look up. Somebody gets a raise, they're looking up. Somebody got a pink slip, they're looking down. That's just a fact. And you know why? because sometimes the weight of life is so heavy, it'll pull you down. And here comes God. He said, listen, I want you to look up, but I don't know about if you guys know this, but sometimes the weight is too heavy. I want to look up, but I can't look up. The good news is, even if you are struggling to look up, God is the lifter of our heads. He'll come and help you look up. We even find, and I didn't have time to read it when I went through it uh, two weeks ago, but remember we opened with the story of this guy who was, who was blind. And remember Jesus touched him and things were better, but they were still fuzzy. And then Jesus touches his eyes again and he can see. And we talked about why that happened. But one of the points I didn't make, and you can go back and look in that message. You can look in, in, in the story. After Jesus touches him the first time and he looks up and things are still fuzzy, he puts his head back down and Jesus touches him again. And then, then Luke records it this way. And then Jesus made him look up, which I think he was so discouraged, like, this ain't never going to change. He refused. I can't look up. Jesus had the physics. Come on, man. He was the lifter of that man's head. I just declare over some of you in this house, man, some of you who are discouraged and tapping out and giving up, man, that God is the lifter of your head because that's who he said he is. Come on. Is anybody thankful for that? Come on. I, uh, perspective, you're taking those perspective changes perception. Like we need God to anoint our viewpoint, right? We need God to help us to see what he wants us to see. If you'll change your perspective, you'll change your perception. If you'll change where you look, you'll change what you see. And if all you're seeing is hurt, pain, discouragement, struggle, or if all you're doing is making excuses for bad decisions, come on, we need to look up and allow God to change what we see by changing where we look. Look up. And I said all that to say this morning to take us to one final story I want to spend a few minutes on. And it's the story found in John chapter 4. It's known as the woman by the well. If you're not familiar with the story, it's, uh, I mean, like a lot of, I mean, all the Bible stories, it's it's really a profound story of Jesus ministering to this woman, and she's sitting, you guessed it, by a well. (laughs) But what you may not know if you've not read it or you're not familiar with the story is that Jesus, the woman he goes and ministers to is, first of all, she's a Samaritan. And at that time, at that part of the nation, that part of the world, that part in time, Jews were very racist against Samaritans. And Samaritans were racist against Jews. And so here's Jesus. Jesus decides to go to the other side of the tracks specifically to minister to Samaritans. And the Jews, like they're they're fighting back, which is crazy how how you can be a follower of Jesus and still justify racism in your heart. That's a different message. But they're still, like Jesus shouldn't be going, he shouldn't be going to the Samaritans. But Jesus goes that way anyways, and he doesn't just minister to a Samaritan. We find him talking to a woman, which was a no-no because men didn't deal with women because women were property. They weren't equals. And not only was he dealing with a Samaritan and dealing with a Samaritan woman, they were racist against and biased against. But this woman specifically was, I've used several adjectives, each service and regretted them. I'm looking for a safe one for <laughs> service three. Like she, she had a reputation. She was had lots of reputations, had been in lots of bedrooms, slept with lots of men. And Jesus sits down at noontime, and she's at the well at noon because nobody wants to be around her. And so all the normal people go get their water out of wells in the morning time or the evening when it's cool, but she's got to go at noon in the heat of the sun because that's the only time she can get there. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that there's a Jesus that'll meet anybody, anywhere, anytime and minister to him. And so Jesus shows up and he sits down next to this Samaritan harlot and uh, starts talking to her. And his whole conversation is, hey, you're drawing water out of a well because you're thirsty. And basically he's saying, listen, you got a thirst that that water can't quench but, and he's not even just talking about her, her physical thirst in her mouth. He's saying like, you're trying to fulfill the thirst in your life by sex and intimacy and bedrooms and men. And what God is really teaching us in his word is He's saying like, you can pursue anything in this world and it'll always leave you unsatisfied. But Jesus said, I'm the, I'm the living water. If you come and drink of me, you'll never thirst again. Anybody know that's true? Come on. And so, so Jesus sits down and has this conversation. She is so profoundly moved by what Jesus has told her, that she gets up and she goes into the city to tell everybody that maybe she has found the Messiah. And here's where the story picks up. Check this out. John chapter four, verse 27 says, and at this point, his disciples came. So Jesus and this woman sitting at the well and the disciples, they were out looking for something to eat and they come back and they see Jesus talking to this woman. It says, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. They're like, why?" come on, man, Jesus, why are you talking with a woman? And they probably know at the same time, if this woman is at the well at noontime, they probably know the same thing that Jesus knows. All right. I mean, while, while, while the disciples saw an obstruction, Jesus saw an opportunity. While, while, the, while the disciples saw a reputation, I'm thankful Jesus saw redemption. While the disciples saw a past, I'm thankful Jesus saw the future. Come on, is anybody thankful Jesus looks at us with a different lens? but like they're not even on the same page. They're confused he's even talking to a woman. It says this, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? Like Nobody asked him his opinion. They just all jumped to conclusions, which we're good at. And the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all these things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So she left Jesus at the well. She went into the city, told her story. This mob of people from the city are now coming back to the well to meet Jesus. And watch this. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Like, come on, like a lot of you, they're focused on food instead of the word. Like, they're totally, like, they're upset he's even talking to a woman. Now they're focused on kind of the food instead of ministry, He says, but he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And I want everybody here to read this next part with me. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Come on, read it. Behold, I say to you, lift up your and look at the fields for they are already white to harvest. Now, I know that doesn't mean probably anything to anybody. Let me tell you what Jesus was saying. Jesus had been sitting by this well, ministering to this woman who experienced profound life change and ran into a city to get her friends because that's because, you know, found people find people. That's what we do. Runs into the city to get her, get this city of people to come experience Jesus. And when Jesus sees this crowd of people coming, he looks at his disciples and he says this, like you've heard it say four months to harvest, but I say, lift up your eyes for the harvest is white. Here what he was, here's what he was saying. The typical slogan of the time was that from the time a farmer put a seed into the ground, it would take four months for that seed to mature and for a harvest to come. And what Jesus is saying is, I planted a seed and it didn't take four months. The harvest is already coming. Come on. So what he's saying is, some of you have been waiting for something and you feel like it's only on your timetable or only in your capacity. God says, I can expedite time and I can manifest miracles. God says, I can do anything, not just for anyone, but I can do it at any moment and at any time. Come on. Is anybody thankful that God can do it? He's saying, man, here comes a harvest. I just planted a seed, but here comes the harvest. What I'm telling you is this as we close. Lifted eyes help us recognize what God wants us to prioritize. He tells the disciples, you're focused on food, and you're focused on your race, and you're focused on you. And I'm just telling you, if you have a genuine experience with faith, it'll change your focus. Because we typically are very selfish people that we focus on me, my, I, and ours. And when you have an encounter with Jesus, your focus will change from me to we To them. There's a song I remember as a young believer, Joy, right? Come on. Joy is Jesus, others, and you. That's our standard, and that is that is the that's the ladder of how we should look at people. Jesus is first, others are second, and I'm last. And if you don't see things that way, maybe it's because we need to, come on, look up. We get so focused on what I'm doing and where I'm going and how I'm handling things. And Jesus is saying, No, 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 you'll miss what I'm doing if you keep looking down. You need to. Look up.